during the economic shutdown of the last of a few years ago and now the economic slowdown i think i think if we're honest with ourselves most of us would say that finances and money uh, happen to cross our minds from time to time. Most of us here have had some cutback on income, and some of us, even in the last few years, have lost jobs and, by God's grace, have found uh, new employment. And it is true that inflation is real and spiking. And financial stability does seem to be uh, very uncertain in our day. So how do we process these topics? How do we process, biblically, financial stress? Praise God, the Bible is not silent about the topic of money, about the topic of wealth. It just isn't. Consider this verse, Proverbs 30, verse 8. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Or if the New Testament, you go to Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And that's just two verses. You could do a whole in-depth biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation on the topic of money. And along that way from Genesis to Revelation, you would run across a passage in the Psalms that you may not have considered before on this topic. I know I hadn't. And so I think the Psalm that we're going to cover today has some of the most important words in all of the Bible in regards to our money, our finances, and material things. And that psalm that I want to bring your attention to is Psalm 49. Psalm 49. So take your Bibles and turn to that place, Psalm 49. And as I'm reading, I want you to consider and to listen to these words and think about money and think about finances in light of eternity and may we together just as I read just hear the word of the Lord on this topic Psalm 49 starting at the very beginning Psalm 49 for the choir director a psalm of the sons of Korah hear this all peoples Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth will speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. Why should I fear in the days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me? Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. He should cease trying forever. That he should live on eternally. That he should not undergo 
decay. For he sees that even wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words, Salah. As sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their form shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Salah. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Understand the truth. Wake up, throw aside fear, money will fail you, but God has paid the full price of your salvation. This psalm tells us about the kind of wealth that ultimately really matters. We're going to look at the psalm because I think it breaks up fairly neatly into three headings, okay? You have your outline and you'll need it today. First, we will look at the call for understanding about money, the call for understanding about money, and then the consequence the consequences of understanding about money. And then finally, the conviction, the conviction from understanding about money. The call, the consequences, the conviction. Let's begin with our first point, the call. The psalmist calls everyone in this room and who's listening to the sermon, he calls all of us, to get a biblical understanding about money. That's the whole point of the first four verses. There's really no point but to give you smelling salts, to wake you up to the eternal realities of the issues of this psalm. The call for understanding about money. Verse 1, the psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, there he is. He's waking us up. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world. Verse 2, who? Well, we already know it's all, but let's be clear what the issue of the psalm is, although he's not going to tell us yet until verse 5. He leaves us hanging, both low and high. Think financially, economically. Rich and poor together, listen up, he says. And so the message of this psalm, it goes to everybody, specifically all various levels of economic prosperity, to the rich of the rich, to the poor of the poor, everybody in between, 
he wakes us up to consider all of us the truth of this psalm. And here is what I want you to see. We all need to hear this. I would argue, and as I've been studying the book of Luke, that makes a big deal out of money as one of its sub-themes. This topic is probably the source of much of our worry of the future. Stuff and money. It is. All of us need to listen to this psalm today. We're all here in this psalm. Whether you're rich or poor, we're all struggling with money. Every heart struggles with finances and material things. And so unplug your ears. Wake up. He's just, it's a call. It's a call to get understanding about money. We need this. Verse 3. Here's what he's going to do. The psalmist says, My mouth will speak wisdom in, in the psalm. My mouth will speak wisdom. And the meditation of my heart will be understanding. He's trying to convince us. He's calling us to listen. He's saying, look, this is not just going to be theology. This is going to be theology for practical life. This is going to be Proverbs-like wisdom in the psalm. Wisdom and understanding as to how to live Monday through Friday. And the psalmist is saying, I didn't just make this up. I've been thinking deeply about this. I've heard from the Lord on this. The meditation, he says, of my heart is going to be understanding for us here. He's trying to call us to listen to this biblical wisdom about money so that we would have skill. And we need skill to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. But the psalmist wants us to know that he is right here with us. He's one of the all. In this passage, he himself meditated on this topic because he needed it probably more than all of us put together. He needed this truth. And so he admits it in verse 4. I, not you, I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. And so he's saying this is just, this is for, for me as well. I need to hear this, the psalmist said. I'm struggling like you are. I've inclined my ear. I'm, I put an effort in here. I've inclined my ear to this truth. And I need to be renewed just like you. And so this call for a biblical understanding about money reminds me of how we come to the Word of God. Why are we bored with it? I'll tell you why. Because we don't have this desperation that the psalmist has in verses 1 through 4 about the truth to inform us in all areas of our life. If we would come with this heart that, that we need this and we're desperate for wisdom, as we come to our devotions in the morning, our, our times of family worship, to the Word of God on Sundays, that we would have a call for biblical wisdom. I think it would just revolutionize our time in the Word. I think it really would. I pray that that would happen here tonight, this morning. So we pray like the psalmist, light up my path by your word. Speak, O Lord, in your word. Teach me, teach me, teach me this wisdom on finances I desperately needed. There is a call here for understanding about money. Secondly, now we move into the heart of, of the passage. And there's some typos on your outline, I apologize. Number two, the consequences of understanding about money. The consequences of understanding about money. This is really from verses 5 through 15. Verses 5 through 15. Now, so he's called us, but understand he's already meditated on this truth, and he's got, he's got some things figured out, and now he's going to write about them in verses 5 through 15. Does that make sense? And so I'll just tell you, the consequences for understanding about money is, the kind of, is being able to say the kind of stuff that we're going to read and study in this psalm at the very heart of this psalm. In verses 5 through 15. The psalmist writes, verse 5, Why 
Should I fear in the day of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me? Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Why should I be afraid? And isn't that the emotion, worry, and fear that accompany thoughts of financial ruin, of financial stress? It's fear. And often it's a fear of people. The psalmist loves God. We love God. And he's saying that the foes that surround him have a lot of money. And the adversity is coming from those with lots of money in this passage. This is Psalm 49, and that's where the adversity comes from. And there's sin involved, and he feels hedged in and hedged about by enemies from every side, those with wealth surround him. Who, who is it? Those who trust. They put their hope, they've put their dependence, their weight in their wealth. And they love it, and they boast, they boast about their abundance in their riches. The rich... Who would, who would come after the godly, strike fear in the heart of the saints of God. And if that's not true, I don't know where you've been in your life if you haven't felt that. I mean, yes, we're tempted to look on the wealth of the wicked. They seem to be, you know, fat and happy and Everything's going well and we're scratching our heads about the whole thing. So envy is one possible emotion. But the one that we're dealing with here is fear. It's not envy, it's fear. Why are we afraid? Because with money comes power. And with money comes influence. And with power and with influence comes what? Control. And if you don't think that money can buy you influence and control, I just don't know where you've been. I mean, consider those who have a bid for the White House, what money can do. I believe you can purchase political outcomes. Consider big pharmacological companies and their influence and power over research and on and on it goes. Consider who is buying up the land in our country. And so the rich bring adversity for the saints of God. There's the iniquity of the falls of, of those who trust in riches that comes with power. It's surrounding the righteous in this passage and there's fear of the adversity. There's fear of being surrounded. I'm afraid because I don't have my pronouns on my email. I like my adjunct job. And I see the handwriting on the wall. I smell it. I see the looks. I admit I'm liking that paycheck. We fear of being taken advantage of. We fear of the pay cut. We're afraid of the godless who have money because of the potential for control of your life, for oppression of your life, for repudiation of freedom. So we're not shocked that the psalmist fears those who have money, but understand, he's got it. He's ready to preach now. Why do I fear? My mind has been renewed by the truth, and he is ready to share with us the truth that we need to remember to put away fear. And so we must understand the truth in two realms. First, we need to understand, and you can fill this out in your outline, we must understand the truth about those who trust in money. And then secondly, we're going to move on to, we must understand the truth about those who trust in God. And the consequences 
for understanding this is fear flees and we're filled with faith and joy in God. That's the consequence for understanding the truth about money. Are you tracking with me? That's how this psalm works. So there's three truths under that first heading. Understand the truth about those who trust in money. Three truths from the psalm. Number one, those who trust in money cannot purchase heaven. Those who trust in money cannot purchase heaven. Verse 7, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. So the issue here is living eternally and not undergoing the decay that all saints, Old and New Testament, know about, that decay that is due to sin and is due to death. So there is a truth that we can be redeemed from sin and death and decay. We can live on eternally, never undergo decay. But the rich think that they are untouchable. That's what the psalmist says. That they have enough money to buy their way into heaven. To buy their salvation. To buy their eternal happiness. And verse 7 says, let's get our mind on straight. Each of our souls, every individual soul, is impossible for a man or woman to purchase. Their soul is so costly, he says. You can't buy heaven with your money. There's not enough money in all of the world to redeem you. That is, when you redeem someone, they're in bondage. And you get them out by paying a ransom. The costliness of that ransom, the rich think they can pay for it, but they don't have enough money for it. They can't buy it. Someone should have read this psalm, I think, in the, to the deep medieval Catholicism when it was locked in the darkness of those days with the practice of indulgences, springing people out with cash. Why can't you purchase heaven? Because the redemption of your soul is costly. So you should cease trying to earn your redemption. You should cease trying forever to buy heaven, he says. Stop it, he says. No man can ransom another man. You can't buy salvation. How much would it take to pay the ransom price out of your paycheck? Football season is coming. Could Patrick Mahomes do it? $450 million for the next 10 years to throw the pigskin around. Can he buy happiness eternally? How about Bill Gates? What would it take And your decay, if you're trusting in riches this morning, and that's your God, the text says your decay will last forever, and you can never redeem yourself, and you will never be able to pay the ransom price. No one will pay it for you, and that forever. You can't buy it, and you can't buy yourself out of it. Their money is going to do them no everlasting good. So why do I need to be afraid? He's saying. What am I worried about? Look at verse 10. For he sees that even wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish. And you know what they do with their money? They leave it. The Egyptians, they dress themselves up in all that money, right, in the tombs, and the archaeologists like to go storm it and, you know, collect it for the museums. They left it. 
They leave their wealth to others. The wise die, the stupid die, the poor die, the rich die. They don't take their money with them. Their wealth is left to others. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul, forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give? What could he possibly give in exchange for the soul? Come on, he asked the question to the crowd. Give me something. What are they going to give? in exchange for your soul? Answer, there's nothing. No profit, and there's nothing that he has that he can exchange for his soul. Number one, we've got to remember this truth about those who trust in money. Those who trust in money can't purchase heaven. Number two, we've got to remember that those who trust in money care about the wrong issues. Believer, can you fall in to loving money Can you fall into these things? I think we don't need to be pointing fingers here. We need to make sure that we're looking at us. This is written to the saints of God. Those who trust in money care about the wrong issues. Verse 11, their inner thought, here's their thoughts. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever. And their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beast that perish. And so the the ungodly rich, those who are trusting in their riches, they have some thinking about their money and their stuff. They think that their houses are forever and to all generations. They think their money can prevent their name from diminishing, their possessions from diminishing, those things they have built, their households from vanishing from the earth. But that will not happen. Things will decay. People will forget your name. We bought a church building here. We love it. It's 46 years old. Ask our deacons if it's decaying. Dwelling places do not last to all generation. Spurgeon says of this psalm, quotes, Foolish dreamers, the frequent dilapidation of their castles and homes ought to teach them better, but still they cherish the delusion. They cannot tell the mirage from the true streams of water. End quotes. It's bad thinking that holds on to the hope that your legacy will last. In fact, it's not just bad thinking, it's beastly thinking, the text says. Man will not endure. He was formed out of the dust, the dust he will return. I love the poetry of verse 12. Literally, the Hebrew text could, says, and could be translated, man in his pomp, Cannot lodge the night. Do you like those overnights? Your family? All 11 of you in the tent? Or maybe you got a little more cash. You decided to go to the bed and breakfast. You got one night. The power of a man. He cannot even lodge the night. That's the length of his habitation. He thinks it's forever. The psalmist says he can't even last the night. Not even one night. Not only can he not buy eternity, he cannot secure an immortal name. He can't even stay overnight. His money can't buy him the most fleeting thing. As one has said, quotes, life is so short that we do not even make it to the morning. End quotes. One commentator talks about a very rich man, I won't name his name, who said this, quotes, I believe in reincarnation. So I left all the money to myself, end quotes. Now, what is the truth doing to you? No, I mean it. It's sad, isn't it? What happens is we say, why should we fear these people? Why are we so afraid? We ought to pity them. 
instead of pander to them in fear. Don't be afraid, he says. Understand the truth that those who trust in money care about the wrong issues. And number three, and it's sobering, but listen carefully. Number three, those who trust in money will be consumed forever. Look at verse 13. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words, Salah. So the way of those who are foolish is, verse 12, the way of perishing like the beasts. This is the way, it's the way of death. Those who trust in their riches will die, and those who clap their hands, who approve of their words and their legacy, they too will go the way of the beasts that perish. Their mouth too eventually will be closed, and they will perish. It's so sad to me. I, when I was writing this, I was thinking about Whitney Houston. When I was writing this, I was thinking about Robin Williams. When I was writing this, I was thinking about Michael Jackson, about Prince. The commentary the commentator Boyce reminded me of another one I didn't think of, the French atheist, Voltaire. Heard of him? Right, Voltaire? He hated Christianity, but he, was, he had one thing going for him. He was a very, very what? Rich man. One of the wealthiest in France. Perhaps he was the most famous person at the time of the European Enlightenment in the sophisticated age of the 18th century, and he brutally attacked Christianity. It was vicious. Yet, when Voltaire came to die, it is said by the historians that he cried to his doctor in desperation, quotes, I will give you half of all I possess if you will give me six more months of life. End quote. And of course, the physician would like to have cashed in on that, but didn't have the skill, unfortunately for him. He didn't have the training, and all of Voltaire's money could not prevent him from being ushered, being ushered, being shepherded, being shepherded, into death. And he died a despairing and disappointed and disillusioned man. Why do I say shepherded into death? Because of verse 14. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. That's the place of the dead. Sheol is. Death, this is a horrible metaphor. <laughs> death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their form shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation. So the place of the dead will consume them. There will be no comfort in this place. There will be no community. There will be no people. There is no habitation, no fellowship, utter aloneness. How ironic is it that the rich, the rich who trust in their own riches believe that their house will be forever, and yet when they go to the place of the dead, they will have no home. They will have, the text says, no Habitation. They will have a form, a form that will undergo eternal decay in utter aloneness. No habitation. Death shall be their shepherd. Now, death is personified here by the psalmist. Death becomes a shepherd. Horrible metaphor. 
You know, death, the shepherd with its rod and its staff. Death, ushering yourself into no habitation. Taking the rich by hand, guiding them, herding them into the place of the dead to dwell forever. The faithless rich. Foolish sheep destined for slaughter. What a contrast. What a contrast to our shepherd. It's not death. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. I shall not want. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a contrast. Is death going to be your shepherd? Or is Christ your shepherd? I don't know about you. I am honestly, the consequences of understanding the truth as I'm not afraid any longer, I actually, I want to speak this truth to those who are trusting in the riches. I, I don't want them to go there. I, I want to have pity for them, not pound them. Does that make sense? That's the consequences. Fear flies away. But it gets better. We have to understand the truth about those who trust in money, but we secondly need to understand the truth about those who trust in God. Verses 14 and 15. And if, I'm not going to get into it, but I like it. The structure of this psalm lays quite a bit of emphasis on these two verses, but I won't get into it. Trust me on this. Look at it. Some of the most incredible verses in all of Scripture. Psalm 49, look at it. Verse 15, you, you, you got it, Owen. Here it is, your favorite two words. But God. But God. All of this despair, disillusionment, and destruction by putting our hope in the wrong things. But God. We can't pay the price. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Let's think about it. Salah. So there's three truths that we must believe, not just about those who put their trust in money, but those who put their trust in God. Number one, we will be redeemed. Verse 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. No one but God himself is the subject of this verb, redeem. God is the one who redeems. You're in bondage to, to sin. You're in bondage to idolatry. And God will bring you out of that bondage. And he will receive you. And he will pay the price. He will pay the ransom price. To redeem your soul from the power of Sheol. God alone can do this, only God. No man can do it. No work, no amount of money can ransom your soul. There's one ransom price. The ransom price to redeem your soul is perfection. A perfect life. Jesus said, he comes along, shocking everybody, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Sets the standard for a ransom life at perfection. And then James comes around and says in James 2, 10, for whoever keeps the whole law 
and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of it all. Brothers and sisters, we should understand the gospel. Let's, let's meditate on it. Listen to me, you guys. You cannot buy salvation. You cannot earn salvation. You have a checking account. You have a, a bank account. Let's talk about money. The psalm does. It's all about redemption. Zero, right? In your bank account. You are infinity in the whole. In sin, in death. And here we are, infinity down in the hole, doing stuff. Little blips, trying to get ourselves up to perfection. It's insanity. Our sin has plunged us in the hole. But, but even if we could somehow get rid of all that sin, that would get us up to zero. We can't, that's not going to do it. We need perfect righteousness. We need all the money in the world, as it were. We need the right, perfect righteousness. We need our bank accounts stacked with perfect righteousness. Not only payment for all this bad stuff we've done all the time, thought, word, deed, left undone, left done, infinity in the whole, but positive righteousness, good things we've done. You can't do this. The cost is infinite. And the original Hebrew gives us a hint at just the cost of our redemption. Look at verse 5. And it unfortunately doesn't come out. It does come out in the King James, actually. Verse 5. Why should, I, why should I fear in the days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me or the iniquity at my heels? Ever heard of the word heal before in the Bible? If we can think of it in two seconds, you think it might be something that's real? Okay. The iniquity, the picture here is walking and snakes striking the vulnerable area of the righteous by the surrounded by wickedness. Striking in the heel, striking the heel. Does that ring a bell? At the cost, at the hint? There's imagery here from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where the Lord God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, singular, shall bruise you, Satan, on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are seed of the woman. We're not seed of the serpent. There is enmity between the seed of the woman the saints and the seed of the serpent, all throughout we feel it, but there's a singular seed who is coming who will be bit by the serpent in the heel, speaking of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the cost of your redemption is somehow going to be the striking of the heel of the Messiah in this psalm. And we know who his name is, don't we now? And his name is Jesus. And the Word, here's what God did. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He took upon our heel. He took upon our flesh, the Son of God, and He came and He dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life in our place. He allowed Himself to be surrounded by His enemies and he allowed his heel to be struck. He allowed death itself to shepherd him as a substitute for all those who would believe. And upon that cross of Calvary when, his, when he was crushed for our iniquities, he paid for all of the thing below zero. All that stuff, infinity, all your sin, past, present, and future, thoughts, words, deeds, all of it. He took all of that and he took the, the wrath of God the Father in his own body and he was struck down in six hours upon the cross of Calvary. And he died for your sin. All of it. And he said right before he died, Tetelestai, he said it is finished. Which means he must have been in respect to his own body, sinless, if he was going to represent others. In the six hours, because he was God, he could consume all of our sin here. 
completely. And he proved that it was consumed when he rose from the grave. And he proved that he had indeed done it. He had a perfect righteousness. He lived a perfect life. And so that at the cross of Calvary, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, He, that is the Father, made Him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to listen, to be sin for us, so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Him. And so Jesus took all of our debt up to zero. And He took upon Himself and He carried away as far as the east is from the west at the cross of Calvary. But He had lived the perfect righteousness. He had earned a perfect righteousness. And now, by virtue of His authority and His resurrection, He freely gives it away to all who are desperate and see that they need a Redeemer in Christ. And so that He gives us His perfect righteousness. And so that in Christ, we are forgiven and 100% righteous clothed in Him, redeemed by Him. What a cost. Can you do that? There is one who can do that, and His name is Jesus Christ. No wonder Peter talks about Him in such terms in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Don't fear the rich. <laughs> Why do you fear? Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Salah. Pause and think about that. What a price. So number one, we will be redeemed. Second truth, we will be received. Look at verse 15 again. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. He doesn't just pay for your sin and then run, leave you to yourself. He pulls you out into his home, into a habitation. As a father and a son, seated at the table, receives you into fellowship, into resurrection life and hope. He doesn't just redeem you and run. He receives you as a father, does a son. Don't be afraid. He's received you. But there's more. You will be redeemed, you will be received, and number three, you will rise to rule. You will rise to rule. Look at verse 14. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. The upright, that's us, not because we're upright by our own effort, but because we're made righteous in Jesus Christ, the believer shall rule over them in the morning. Jim Hamilton, I think, is right about this. In the morning, it speaks of the dawn of the new day, of the new creation, speaking of our future resurrection, speaking of our reign with King Jesus over the nation, all the nations. For the Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, speaking of the upright, they sang a new song singing, Worthy of the Christ, worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your, with your blood, men from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Brothers and sisters, we need understanding. We're pursuing pleasure and financial security and hope right here and now it's futile, it will perish. We need to renew our minds to trust the finished work of Christ. He will redeem us. He will receive us. We will rise to rule with Him. And so we shall be with Him forever. He will come back. We will rule over the angels. We will be with Him with a new body fit to rule. And it's not just playing the harp on the sky. Do you realize all the things you're chasing for will be yes and amen in Christ. There's a physicality to it. It's Christ. 
and it's presence, and there's people that have gone before us, but there's occupations, and there's art, and there's habitation, and there's land, and there's beauty, and the new heavens and the new earth. This is what He has accomplished for us. We will reign with Christ. I mean, it's not a hard choice. Make your choice here this morning. Are you going to trust in riches or are you going to trust in this Christ who has redeemed you? And look at what He's done for you. As Paul has said in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so in 30 seconds, the last heading, the conviction from this understanding about money. I'll just read it. Look at verse 16. What happens when we believe this? Oh, we're not afraid anymore. Now we're ready to preach and teach. We're ready to share with our neighbors. We're ready to live with some level of conviction and confidence. Look what happens to the psalmist at the end of the psalm as he's rehearsed this truth. Let's just read it. Verse 16. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. So the psalmist is full of confidence at the end. He's called us to an understanding about money. He's telling us the consequences that flows from this understanding of money is fear falls away and faith in the finished work of the struck one in the heel, of the Messiah called Jesus the Christ. He will redeem you. He will receive you. And you will rise to rule with Him forever. But be warned this morning. Do not ignore this psalm. Do not ignore this psalm. All those who are trusting in their riches, who are living for this world, for the successes and pleasures right now, and have put their faith in their own plans, and have put God on the shelf, I would ask you this as we close. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul?